I'm testing this out, testing, testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing, Episode number 12.
<laughs> and we have one minute before we start. I just turned off my headphones, so I'm not echoing. It's six o'clock. I'm so excited. Welcome to Healing of the Heart podcast. And uh, we have a special guest this evening, Rosalind Michaela. She's hanging out right now in the room. And I'm so excited to have her. Hi, Roz. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. How's the music? It's wonderful. I love it. Awesome. All right, we're going to put a pause there for a little bit. So this is Keisha Henry with uh, Healing of the Heart podcast. And I am your host. And I like being the host here. I like I like doing Healing of the Heart podcast. And I see that we have a few other persons um, that have joined um, the podcast this evening. And like we always do, we always go with, you know, who I am, why this podcast, how this podcast, and then we always launch into what this podcast is and what it's not. And it's important, especially with such a tender topic of grief. Um, so let's just go ahead and do that then. So again, I'm Keisha Henry, and I am a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist. And uh, let's see what else. I'm also recently became an author, excited about healing off the heart lessons from my journey. And I am a wife, I'm a mom, and uh, I'm a gym rat. I think I, I often share that. I love to exercise and have movement. Um, movement is something we're going to talk about too, about what you can do working with your grief. So I figure I can just mention that there. But that's who I am. And so um, what's this podcast about? This podcast is about my life, really, and the work that I do. Um, it's kind of hard um, to separate, you know, the passions that you have in your life and then go to work and and not have them. I don't see how that that's an integrated self. Um, and so my life, I feel like is a redemptive one, redeemed in so many ways. And as a result, I launched into purpose, you know, from this redemptiveness. And I kind of like seek out my own tribe, so to speak, in the work that I do. And I have found a lot of other women and girls who also want to redeem their stories. And I use um, my redemptive story as a way of connecting with other women and girls and so far, it has become such a great community, and I'm really excited about that. So from that then came Healing of the Heart podcast, and I'm really, really thankful for that. Every day, this community continues to grow, and um, I'm so appreciative, and I get a lot of feedback about this podcast. I mean, there are lots of other podcasts out there that you could be listening to, but I'm so happy that you decided to join, and yeah, I'm really happy about that. So I'm going to pause here, and uh, you know, Rosalind McCaleb, you're going to hear from her a little bit later on in the podcast, but I think now's a good time to introduce her and allow her to introduce herself. How do you feel about that, Roz? Okay, sounds great. Okay, go for it. Um, I, as Keisha said, I'm Rosalind McCaleb, and I live actually up in St. Augustine, Florida, and I'm a, I'm a math teacher, and that's who I am. Um, teach middle school and absolutely love it. Um, it, it's the highlight of my day. I love working with the kids, but my story, my story doesn't end there as, as many of us know that there's multiple facets. And about eight years ago, I went through some of the darkest times I thought I would. And that's brought me to where I'm at now. And that grief, which is part of why I'm here with Keisha. 
this shaped shaped me into the second time adult that I am um, after you know the death of my husband so tragically and suddenly. Um, and, and I've learned through some of the counseling and things like that, as Keisha said, that sharing is so powerful and finding your tribe is so helpful and so wonderful and so empowering. And so I just couldn't pass up the opportunity to, to share and, and hopefully make an impact once again. So thank you. Wow, Ross, thank you for such a, I don't know, just a beautiful introduction um, of yourself to us and, and for sharing yourself with us on this podcast this evening. Um, so thank you for that. And so now it's about almost five after. And typically at five after, I typically play the anthem for this podcast. Well, to be honest, I have quite a few songs. <laughs> you know, I've gotten feedback about the music and the persons love the music and find it to be very comforting. So before I play the anthem, though, just a little bit of warning for persons who are new to this podcast. One thing about me um, is that I always strive to be authentic. I don't try to be like anyone else. And you, I often share it with you. Don't be awed by anyone. If, any, if anything, be awed by yourself. And so, you know, one of the, you know, things about me that I like so much and, and, and you know, it seems to have an impact on others is that, you know, part, part of what I do is include my spirituality in my work and in, in everything that I do. And I find that it helps to move things along, not just for me, but for other persons once they're given an opportunity to do so. So one of the songs I like to play, which is one of the anthems I like to play, um, is called Fear Is Not My Future by Maverick City. And so I'm going to go ahead and pause here at five after. And this is typically what we do. We're going to play that song for a few minutes. And then when we come back, we're going to launch right into um, setting up the podcast in terms of, you know, how we can make ourselves feel while discussing such a heavy topic. So here we go. Fear is not my future. And let me tell, we have a great music list tonight. I've been like waiting on this, right? Because of course, you know what happened the last time. It did not record. But hey, you know what? We're going to work with what we have tonight. So here we go. I'm turning in your favor. And I like to sing too. I think some people know that already. Work it for <laughs> your good. He's not done with what he started. He's not done until it's good. Hello, peace. Hello, joy. Hello, love. Hello, strength. Hello, hope. It's a new horizon. Hello, peace. Hello, joy. Hello, love. Hello, strength. Hello, hope. It's a new horizon. If you're ready for a breakthrough, yeah, just open up and just receive. Yeah, what is pouring out is nothing you ever see. You ever see. Hello, 
right, guys, that's our anthem. And for those of you who are new joining us, I don't know how you feel about that song, but maybe you can let me know later on. I love that song. I think it's just very uplifting. And I want to set the stage, um, you know, for the conversation that we will have. In fact, I mean, the, the podcast has some heavy topics. I'll be honest. In fact, someone said, you know, that's some heavy stuff that you're taking on there. But, you know, it's so informative or it's so helpful. So I hope that will be the case tonight. And so moving forward, let's continue to talk about, you know, what this podcast is and what this podcast isn't, though. And it's important because in our line of work, you know, we have code of ethics. You know, one of our code of ethics says that we do the least amount of harm. And so even in this podcast, I still have a responsibility to persons who are listening. And so I have that, you know, space. So we create a safe space. So what we're about to do next now is to create a safe space, okay? So what this podcast is not, this podcast is not about blaming. It's not about being judgmental. Okay, for example, like when I said earlier, here's a great example. Earlier I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to play this anthem. This is part, part of who I am, part of my, you know, authenticity. And so I express that, you know, hopefully that I'm not judged just as much as if you were to share a song, I would welcome your song because this is part of who you are and your expression and your spiritual expression. And that was mine. So this podcast is not about judging other person or even judging yourself. In fact, I mean, we're so trained to and conditioned to train, you know, to judge ourselves harshly rather than being curious about things. So this podcast really is about, you know, finding a safe space for yourself and to be curious about what you're experiencing, what you're thinking, or maybe someone, you know, wrote something in the chat, be curious about that um, and not pointing fingers or blaming. And I often pause here and say, especially if I'm healing of the heart, lessons from my journey, one of the poetry that I have in there talks about blaming is not healing. Because when you blame, there's no, you don't give yourself options to heal. Uh, you don't give yourself options to learn. You don't give yourself options to find meaning. You don't give yourself options, you know, to be resilient or to be, you know, to find resilience if you've never really had it. And so blaming is not here. So this podcast is not about, you know, pointing fingers, you know. And again, we talk about heavy topics. And so one of the things I find, even the work that I do is, you know, it's very easy to point fingers outward or really instead of just being curious about inwardness. Yeah. So that's what the podcast is not. And, and I, somehow I weaved in there what it is. Again, it's about curiosity. It's about, you know, finding your own pace and your own space in this community to be safe. With that said, you know, again, tonight, I don't know if I'll have a lot of answers for anyone. And I oftentimes say this in my work. I think sometimes the women that I work with, some of them get kind of nervous. Oh, you don't have answers for me? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I really don't. You know, at least I don't want to have the answers per se i i believe that you have the answer and um so my approach in my work and even in this podcast is i'm very decentered right i i find myself to be one that more or less come alongside persons support guide right allowing persons to find you know this element of curiosity to help themselves yes i'm there as a presence and i find too that in this work that someone's presence is the greatest gift. And especially, you know, with grief, um, the presence of someone is, is so precious to someone who's grieving. And let's just face it, we're, we are, we ha we're all grieving right now, or we've at some point or another that we have grieved. And by the way, this podcast is really in the honor of my friend Chantel Nelson, who died two weeks ago tomorrow. Okay. And, and you know, so I have my own grief that I'm working through. We grew up together in a church, okay? And she just died suddenly. So I don't know who you're honoring tonight by listening to this podcast. I imagine that you're honoring yourself too, because if you weren't, you wouldn't be listening. Um, but in these, in this moment, um, you're honoring yourself and this other person perhaps that you're grieving. 
So with that said, again, this podcast, it can be a difficult one. And because we want to, you know, create a space of safety, you know, I want you to listen to, you know, listen at your own pace. In fact, I'm just going to be bold and say, you probably don't want to listen right now for some of us who are not, probably your grief is very raw. Okay. So maybe this is not the time to listen to this podcast. Um, death if you're driving, probably not. Safety. Okay. Um, so this is just setting this up again to just to, for you to think about, you really, do I want to listen to this right now? Maybe you should download this podcast later when you're feeling a little bit stronger and you can handle the content and perhaps um, the sharing of um, Raza McCaleb's story. Because again, this is, this is not easy. And, and for some persons, it can be triggering, right? Not to say we'll ever not got triggered, get triggered. That's, that's impossible. I mean, that's just not sustainable. We, we all get triggered by something. But the most important aspect is that how can you take care of yourself? So let's talk about that then. So number one, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you become overwhelmed, which can happen, right? Turn it off. Step outside. As a matter of fact, I have my cup of tea. Tea is very soothing to me. I have my mint tea. Okay. Maybe step outside, turn it off. Maybe you should be listening with someone, you know, supporting you while you're listening to this podcast. I don't know. Um, you know, do breath work. If you're familiar with breath work, step aside and do some deep breaths, right? Take some deep breaths. Uh, do progressive muscle relaxation. That's another form of, um, you know, breath work that you can do. Either way, um, if it gets too tough, what I am suggesting that you do is put space between yourself and this, this podcast, this content, right? Because I really want you to be safe. I mean, have to. We have to sign up for that. We have to sign up for safety so we can continue to, you know, to mobilize and not um, be immobile, if you will, emotionally. That's not what we want. So with that said, I'm going to pause again. It's about 6.14, and um, I'm going to play a little bit more music of the anthem, let it just kind of like run its course there. And then when we get back, we're going to take a look at what grief, different types of grief, normalizing grief, and actually the opposite of that, how some persons invalidate grief. Pause here. story you are you are heartbreaks not my home you are you are death is not the end you are you are fear is not my future you are you are is not my story Okay, hopefully that gave you a little bit of time to kind of, you know, be curious about what, you know, how you want to take care of yourself. Probably gave you a few minutes to, you know, reflect on, do I want to continue listening to this podcast? So, you know, basically we're giving you permission because you need that. Oftentimes growing up, you know, we don't get asked, we get told. But here, you know, in this moment and in, in this uh, community, 
No, you're allowed. You can give yourself permission to take a pause or to determine then, self-determine how it is that you want to take care of yourself. So hopefully you had a few minutes to do that. All right, so let's just dive in. All right, here we go. So, you know, normalizing grief. So you, here's the thing about normalizing grief. All of us, you know, all of us, grief is a universal experience. You know, it is. H however, though, um, even though it's universal, we all have experienced grief uniquely in our own uniqueness in our own way you've heard you know Roz mentioned kind of like you know gave insight into that already and so we're going to talk about different types of grief maybe you can perhaps pinpoint where you are with your grief probably you didn't even have a name for it and you know I find that when we can underline something when we can mark something we call it market in our work m-a-r-k-e-d when you can mark it it gives you possibilities to have curiosity for you to begin to understand what it is that you know is happening with you and perhaps you know what you can do so in a few minutes here i want us to continue talking about different types of grief and i have to tell you so let me just tell you about my experience working with grief right and i work primarily with women and girls and i have to tell you i have worked with women that have experienced different types of grief and uh when we're talking about grief, death, loss. So let's just kind of framework this, right? So now I've worked with who have lost their spouse, such as like Roz, sudden, okay? I've worked with women who have had their children murdered. Yes, I've worked with women who have lost the death of a child murdered. And here's the thing about that. Listen to what Roz said, sudden, out of nowhere. Yeah, murdered, sudden, out of nowhere. I've worked with women who have, you know, had miscarriages. Not one, not two, but several. That's some serious stuff, you know. Um, I've you know, I've worked with parent, you know, per persons who have lost their parents, um, and perhaps the parents were their just their world. Young children that have lost their parents. Okay, I've worked with women, which with um, younger children having this experience so early. I've worked with um, women who have lost um, a sibling, um, just to illness, um, and it was just even though it was anticipatory. That's that's one type of grief. But when the loss came, it was still devastating. And of course, I covered, you know, the loss of a spouse or the loss of a friend like I have had recently. And so um, th this is my experience. And I tell you what, even currently, I'm working with a few persons right now in my work that are experiencing um, death, the death of a spouse. Um, and, you know, again, I'm already seeing that just being, you know, being having presence with that person is one of the critical um, you know, elements of persons who can who actually when they're experiencing recovery is, imp is an important part of their recovery. So I have some memes here um, just to kind of soften really what we're talking about here. And so I, I found a couple of memes that I wanted to share and just kind of see if you fit anywhere, if you connect with any of what we're talking about. And so um, so let's start with the fact that grief, you know, although this woman went to the doctor. And she was, she, was, she was sitting on the, you know, the patient bed. And um, the, the doctor comes in and she says, you know what? The good news is that the pain of grief, it becomes less acute. And most people go on to live healthy and meaningful lives. So she's just like straight up reading from a book, looking at her. And while the patient's sitting on the bed, just looking like, probably can't even take that in at that moment. So we're looking at, persons grieving and perhaps how other persons um, normalize or maybe invalidate grief. How about this other one? Have you had that experience? How about this one? 
And I'm gonna I'm gonna admit that this one is me ahead of time. All right. Um, so how about you're going to go visit someone who's grieving, and uh, the person says, "I didn't know what to bring, so I grabbed Tylenol, <laughs> Twinkies, and the Smart uh, Grievers Guide to Grieving." Okay, so I'll be honest. I would have brought the, the I would have brought the Tylenol, and I would have Smart Grievers Guide. I'm not sure about the Twinkies because I'm such a health nut. I'm not sure about that. But listen to what the response, and, and these memes are all women. I know I'm so biased, right? Hey, so listen what the woman who's grieving, she said, you know what? I'll take the Twinkies. <laughs> I'll take the Twinkies. She doesn't want the Tylenol, and she does not want the Smart Grievers Guide to Grieving. She wants a Twinkie. She wants the comfort, right? Hint, hint, hint. She wants the comfort. She wants comfort. What am I doing here? I'm really beginning to normalize help to normalize grief help to highlight how when persons are grieving how when other persons don't know what to do what they do and perhaps how when a person's grieving how that can present and how that can feel one of the things i like about in the meme here this particular one the first one the, the woman was just sitting there looking very dejected as well as she should she was just not being heard or somehow there's no empathy that was coming from the doctor and many times and you know Sometimes I should say, I do hear feedback from people saying, you know, I went to the doctor and the first thing I did was pushing medication. Yeah. Push, and, and not to say there's right or wrong about that, but there's no empathy coming across, you know, you can't sleep. Okay. Here's this, take this. And, and while that may be helpful, I guess, you know, um, there is, there's, there's need to, to have empathy and to normalize um, what a person is going through. And so with her taking the Twinkies, I, you know, Again, that that's that speaks to me because I probably would have offered the other two items and not really care much about the Twinkies, but she really cared about the Twinkies. How about this one? Um, so grief again, we're talking about, you know, normalizing grief and perhaps how persons experience grief and their responses. So that's the framework right now. And um, this other woman, she says, you know what? I'm not going to go out today. I'm going to take a rain check. My grief is really acting up. Yeah. <laughs> so. These are some common, what we just talked about, these are some common physiological, um, behavioral, cognitive kind of responses to grief. And that's normal. So I'm normalizing grief is what I'm doing. And the responses from other people, though, again, can somehow invalidate, you know, these responses that we're having rather than normalizing and say, you know what, you're okay. You really are okay. So then let's move on then. So what are different types of grief? This is the part that I'm going to go really slow because I want to go slow here because, again, from doing this work, people get lost, can get lost in their grief. Um, one of the things I like about grief work is that there's a lot of research out there. I mean, you literally have grief researchers. Did you know that? I love that. So a lot of my work is, in a, I am a trauma therapist, and so grief is traumatic, you know, and so I like the research on grief because it really, again, helps to normalize this universe experience that we all have or will have at some point or another. So then let's take a look at, you know, different types of grief. Well, so one of, one of the types of grief that um, I like to start with, I think it's, I don't like to use the word easier, but I want to say more manageable is anticipatory grief. Again, I mentioned it earlier. Um, for example, if you had, a, you know, you have someone, a loved one or a friend, and, uh, you know, um, they're expecting the loss of someone that's close in the future. And so you prepare for this impending loss. Um, 
you, you may begin to try to envision a life, you know, without this person. Um, it's, it's, it, and it's very common for persons who are facing perhaps a terminal illness. And so, but here, here's, here's the part that can be normalized um, in this grief is that during this anticipatory period, you know, persons can begin, right, to persons can help these people who are, this person who's grieving to begin to try to anticipate, you know, um, a, imagine um, a life without this person. And during this period, it allows you to do that, you know, with grace. It allows you to do that and, 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 and actually experience um, the reactions that I was talking about earlier actually much sooner. People actually have witnessed persons going through that. And again, not to say that when it actually happens, it's easier, but it's, or easy, I should say, but it's just that it, it, it's, it's, it's less heavy on the brain. It's less heavy on the physiological. It's less heavy on the cognitive reactions. I've, I've experienced that. And so anticipatory grief, I start there because I think it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, the less heavier one, if you will, of all the other ones that we're going to talk about. And one of the gifts in anticipatory grief, again, is that, you know, you're anticipating this. You, you get a chance to actually spend more time with the person. Um, how, you know, how can that be normalized? Again, death is not something that we, I don't believe any of us really prepare for that. I think, I think a lot of us, especially from my culture, we, we prepare to live for a long time. I mean, I don't know that um, preparing for death is ever normalized. I don't think, I don't think anyone really you know, try to, tries to normalize that. Um, there's a word I want to kind of insert here. I'm talking about impermanence. I want to, you know, um, introduce this word much earlier. Now, impermanence is something that we have to live with. It says that everything changes. Um, and so there's nothing that will be permanent. And, but no one normalizes impermanence. None of us do. And so this is something that I want to introduce to, if you have not heard that term before, I think we need, we need to begin to, you know, welcome this word. Um, it will help us to normalize our, you know, you know, death, loss, and grief. So when we do experience that, um, we don't reinforce the pain and the suffering as such, but we can actually help to move ourselves through that. So anticipatory grief is, is, is one type of grief um, that really impacts all of us. Um, the, other, the other type of grief is, and I've witnessed this too, is complicated grief. Complicated grief is exactly what it sounds like. And essentially, it's just persons are not able to move through the grief cycle in a normal way. And I don't like that word. But in our, in our world, and you know, in science, we, 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 we have these, you know, um, features and we have these, um, you know, frequency, endurance and, you know, duration. We go by these codes. And so I'm, I'm for the lack of a better term, I'm trying to say here that with complicated grief, you just, persons do not move through the grief cycle um, as, as normal as other persons would. And a lot of times it's complicated because they're underlying unresolved issues with that person that perhaps have passed. I have, I have witnessed that in my own family. Um, when my father passed, I, I observed other persons in my family circle that they had complicated grief and they had a very hard time um, with, this, with the loss and they have had to seek you know, care and help to move through that. So complicated grief, you know, for example, you know, the, the different stages of grief, you know, there, there is a the denial, there's the anger, um, there's the bargaining. Um, and then finally, then there's the acceptance. And by the way, nothing about this, um, these stages are linear. It, it doesn't work like that. Some people bounce around um, on this, um, this wheel, we call it the grief wheel. Some people bounce around on that. And I'm going to stop here and say, that's okay, too. That's totally okay. How about chronic, chronic grief? Right. 
Chronic grief is like an intense reaction to the loss and somehow or another, it just does not subside, right? Chronic grief, it, it intensifies. And for some reason, when you're moving through the grief, persons seem to just not heal. It takes them that much longer. So that's why it's called chronic. It's like, it just keeps bubbling up. It just doesn't go away. And, you know, I had alluded earlier talking about, you know, perhaps if this sounds like you, um, you know, doctors, I, I, I did say earlier, you know, it's best to seek medical attention. It's very close to complicated grief, complicated grief, chronic grief. It's, it's pretty close. Um, wherein, you know, persons need a uh, medical attention because what it does is that it's so traumatic to the brain. It just debilitates people. Some persons literally are frozen, you know, that fight flight mode. You just completely shut down emotionally. You can't even function. You have severe energy leaks. You just can't go to work. You can't, you, 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 everything, which leads me to the next type of grief with that. It's called secondary loss. Secondary loss is, is very close to complicated. And um, because secondary loss says this, you know what? I'm so debilitated. I'm so wiped out. I'm not going to go to work. And, and, and I've seen this too. Persons don't work. Next thing you know, um, they're losing their apartment. They can't, they're not taking care of their children. Um, and, you know, other authorities are called. And, and so secondary loss is pretty significant. And so they've had a number of losses along the way too. And then this happens. Um, and then it's almost like this person's world is just at the bottom. Um, we, we call that persons who um, were once resilient and then suddenly it's like their core belief, everything in their life. It's like, why did this happen to me? How did this happen? Why me? I had this loss last year. Six months ago, I had that person to die. And I'm going to tell you, I have, I have witnessed this, especially during COVID. Um, COVID time was very, very difficult. I think for a lot of therapists, including myself, um, we had to take extra care of ourselves because um, having persons to work with that you know, I just lost my, my, my mom or I just lost my cousin and I can't even go. I can't go to the funeral. And so have, you know, being able to support persons that have had, you know, um, complicated grief as a result of that, or um, they have had, um, you know, secondary losses. I mean, and, you know, it's, it's a lot. I don't know. So let's pause here for a second. I'm so I'm just kind of, you know, listing, if you will, um, sharing, you know, giving you you know, things about these different types of grief. And I have to say, you know, culture is really important here. Um, in this work that I do, again, remembering that, yes, grief is a universal experience, but we're all shaped different culturally. And it's so important that, like the woman wanted a Twinkie, right? She didn't really want the book or the Tylenol. For some cultures, people don't want medication, okay? They don't want medication, um, they may need to resort to their different ways in their culture, how they handle grief. Okay. Um, for some persons that might be, I don't know, a priest, um, someone from the church community or whatever it is in their culture that, you know, that has shaped, you know, their understanding about grief or support for grief. Um, I find that that's really important, which is why I mentioned earlier about, you know, the anthem. I, I find that working with grief being able to include persons' um, spiritual um, expression or begin to help them to form one is so important when we start looking about, well, what does this potentially mean? 
Why did this happen to me? And again, persons who were once resilient and they have hit rock bottom, now they're looking for meaning in their lives and they're looking to bounce back and they don't know how to. And so, you know, um, how we deal with grief, again, number one, it needs to be normalized. It does. It needs to be marked, market, right? You got to market. The research shows that, you know, being able to know what's happening with you brings understanding and possibilities for you, for yourself when you're grieving. And so how we normalize grief, like I'm trying to do tonight by number one, calling it out. You have to call it out. And the work that I do, uh, regardless of the topics um, that, you know, is in discussion, um, being able to call it out or give it a name is significant to healing. And, and like Ra says, sharing is healing. And so um, there are different types of grief. And I want to touch on one or two more. Um, there's this grief that I have worked with. I was working with a woman who her son was murdered. Okay. And um, it's interesting that this type of grief is called um, disenfranchised. Um, I've also worked with a woman who um, she lost her, her daughter to a drug overdose. And, you know, um, persons who, who encounter this kind of grief carry a lot of shame, a lot of shame, a lot of blame, you know, um, and persons who, who endure this kind of, um, um, it's called this, disenfranchised grief for a reason. Why? Because people with this kind of loss, they oftentimes do not feel validated by others. It's like, well, or someone for an, another person I worked with, you know, had a relative that died by suicide. Oh, well, you know, they should have known better. You know, and the rest of the family have this different, um, you know, this different, you know, sentiment about, you know, what happened to this person. Very judgmental. So persons who experience uh, disenfranchised grief um, seem to have a strong stigma attached to the death of that person. Again, um, whether it's by suicide or overdose or, um, you know, this person homeless, I've, I've worked with that too. And for some reason, these persons, they do not get the kind of support that they really should have. You know, it's, it's just not there. So what happens to these persons who don't get that? Well, as you can imagine, they too then um, resemble features of um, complicated grief. They also resemble, um, you know, features of um, chronic grief. And um, they do not move through um, the stages of grief, like other persons who perhaps died from a terminal illness, if you will, or um, even persons who died suddenly, you know, person more like, well, you know, it was an accident and that's more acceptable. And somehow this, this particular grief is very dear to my heart because again, I work with women and how about women who suffer miscarriages? And I'm going to pause here because I work primarily with women of color. And one of the things that I notice work with women of color who suffer miscarriages is like, number one, um, the, um, the narrative is that they're not allowed to, oh, well, you know, black women don't have pain. I've, I've, yeah, this is, this is even your profession. And mostly when I work with their professional, you know, they're professional women and it's almost like they can't talk about it. Um, and, and there's a lot of research on, um, the strong black woman, um, syndrome, uh, wherein is basically, you know, um, they have to show a lot of strength while masking their own pain. Okay, so okay, so think about that. You have to pretend to be one way, right? You have to mask, mask grief. That's another type of grief. You know, you mask, you pretend like you know you have to be strong 
while underneath you're dying inside. Of course, that can also lead to complicated grief, secondary loss, chronic grief, disenfranchised grief, right? You can see easily how this can just snowball together, right? So I find too, and I've worked with a couple of women, professional women, um, that they have they've had one or two miscarriages and it's almost like um, they're not allowed to grieve. They're not. They, in fact, in, even in their social circles with their own professional friends, it's almost like, girl, all right, you know, God's good. Let's just, let's just move it on here. Let's just get it done. I, I find that. Um, and, and again, for women who have worked with, with um, who have lost, you know, having a miscarriage, I, I tend to see more of a secondary loss there too. It's like, it's secondary because they've had other losses, right? And in their lives, especially if they have unresolved, you know, childhood trauma, it makes this much harder. It really does. Um, and, and this is a good time to really include um, more cultural pieces about, you know, um, this disenfranchised. Disenfranchised grief happens a lot too, I want to say, um, that I have witnessed um, work with women of color because, you know, it's almost like, and again, from the Caribbean, um, this, you know, we're very, um, uh, what's the word, conditioned, you know, to, with religion. Um, and that's a whole nother topic. But the point I want to make here. Is that religion is one thing, but your spiritual expression and cultivation is a different thing. I want to kind of hang my hat on that. I find that when I include, when we, for some of the women, I find culturally speaking, whether they're African American Black or Caribbean Black, there seems to be some common themes among that. And, and, and this comment is, you know, be strong. Uh, you, you just need God to fix it and, and everything's going to be okay. And that's not true. Clearly, that's not true. Listen to my other podcast on go ahead and wear that red lipstick or self-compassion. And I talk a whole lot more about these themes that I'm talking about right now. But on this topic of grief, it's interesting. I purposely want to bring in um, excerpts from the Bible that actually refutes this. So this, this narrative about, you know, God fixes everything and you're not allowed to, you know, go through your grief um, with grace and dignity is not true. Um, there's a lot of um, religious and spiritual contamination that I have come to find working with women in grief. It's not properly normalized. These women are not properly supported. And, you know, I promised that on this podcast, I was going to actually flesh peace about, you know, the, the, the not normalizing, you know, grief for women of color and for women of color who particularly want to use their spiritual expression, who want to include their religion, but somehow it was contaminated way back when. And so it, it makes the grief much, much harder to, 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 to embrace. It makes it much harder. So I'm, I'm going to in include some excerpts from this particular, it's from the book of Job, actually. I'm going to read that. And then um, we're going to put some space between there and allow Rosalind to come in. So here it is right here. I'm going to read this. And so this is from, this is from Job chapter 16. If, if you're familiar with, um, with the Bible at all, and if not, um, just give a listening ear. But remember, I, I, I actually gave um, foundation for this. Let me repeat that. A lot of times in this work, research shows that when persons are able to include their spirituality into um, their, their grieving process or into their you know, psychotherapy process, that they're better able to buffer stress and to actually help to move the pain and suffering along 
and help to build resilience and help to find meaning so they can actually imagine a life again where grief is not knocking them down all over the place. So let's talk about contamination here because again, if you're listening to this podcast and perhaps you know you're like, you know what, gee, I I I wish my therapist would actually include spirituality in in the work. Well, you should find one that does that. You really should because the research is very clear. Or I wish I was in a church community where they actually allow me to talk about my emotions. Well, you probably should find that because that's what you need. That's part of your personality makeup. So how about Job chapter 16? So Job, if you know the story, the backdrop to Job was that he had his, he has his adult kids and he was somewhere else, maybe in his own house, I think. And one of his servants came and said, hey, you know what, Job? Um, a big like tornado came through and just wiped out the house and and some bandits came through and took all your cattle because Job was very rich, by the way. His kids died suddenly. Yes. So one of the one of the you know parallels here in his story, in Job's story, his kids died. All of them died suddenly, all in one day. He lost all his wealth. And, and by the way, and then his health came under attack. He became very sick. He broke out in sores, and he was sick unto death. Okay. So listen. So then, by the way, so we're trying to normalize grief. So his friends came. I guess his friends are rich too. And the subheading in Job chapter 16, it says, Job reproaches his pitiless friends. He says, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall words of wind have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's place, Job was saying, Hey, if you guys were in my shoe, he says, I could heap up words against you and shake my head at, head at you, but I would strengthen you with my mouth and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief, right? I saw that and I'm like, now look, now, so for every person who's very religious and think that your emotions don't matter, you're obviously incorrect. That's, I, I just quoted that from the Bible that many of us revere so there is space there's space it's just that people don't either they are not educated enough they're not they don't understand um i don't know you cannot legislate kindness and persons to have a heart but something something needs to be said about that wherein persons who are grieving and that part of their personality their spiritual makeup is not accounted for in the midst of their grief and what they're going through so i just kind of had to pause and say hey I am charging. I am bringing a challenge to persons who say, well, when I go to therapy, I can't bring up religion. When I go to my doctor, I can't, I can't talk about that when I'm going through my grief. Well, you know what? There are actually people out there, right? That are actually skilled, understand the need to include spirituality, especially in grief work. So I'm here calling it out tonight. I'm marking that. So let's pause. It's now 643. And this is the time where I'm going to allow Roz to come in. And speak about you know her journey with grief. After she does that, I'm gonna wind down by looking at what what else grief does. You know the physiological um, impacts, um, health issues that can come from not working through your grief, and but what you can do. So I'm gonna pause here, play a little bit more music, giving Roz a chance after reflecting on what we just talked about to see how she wants to you know um, insert herself here. And I do have some questions for Roz tonight, and I know she's prepared. So we're going to pause here, play a little bit more music, a different one, and then we'll come right back to that.
So here we go. This is new music. And I love this one. So I'm not sure who sings this song. I always try to try to give um, the words, um, not the words rather, but the name of the person singing the song. And I don't really remember the name, guys. So bear with me, okay? But this one came through last night as I was preparing for this podcast today. And I hope you like it. So here we go. Is that the one I want to play? Yeah, I think that's the one. No, it's not the one, guys. Pardon. Here we go. Here we go. I think that's appropriate. This one's appropriate where um, after talking about Job and after talking about that person's not understanding how, you know, grief comes in waves. Um, grief needs to be supported. Grief needs to be called out and understood. But including your spirituality um, in, in grief work is so important. And I have witnessed this many times over. There is beauty in what I can understand. Jesus, it's you. Jesus, it's you. And I believe you're the wonder-working God. You're the wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen, you're too good to not believe. your time i thank you so much for being patient with me i know we had discussed this prior that i would do most of the podcast this way and again thank you so much for your patience and thank you for your um, communication too um you had said in the chat that yes to grief acting up so i'm going to pause here and let you jump in thank you keisha um wow hold it. i didn't realize there was still so much i could learn and feel after you know the first you know like half hour or so of you of you talking <laughs> Oh, wow. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, what, what's amazing is for me is, is that I can still learn. Um, even as a teacher, I still learn every day. And I wasn't, I didn't go to school to become a teacher. And even the process, like realizing that there were names to everything I've been going through, like this is real. And as you put it, normal. Um, I think that's so 
I think that's part of my issue with with uh, the death, the grieving process, and even mental illness is it's not normalized in our society, and which has, I guess, pushed me to do what I've done over the last few years. Um, I think in a way, I, so let me backtrack a little bit. I lost my husband about eight years ago. Um, motorcycle accident. Uh, someone hit him. He flew off the bike. No, he was not wearing a helmet. And um, after several several hours, um, he he was. Um, they were able to figure out that he was brain dead, and that some decisions had to be made. I knew immediately when I got the phone call, um, and we were lucky enough to have those conversations amazingly I don't know how or why but we did and um, he was an organ donor and I was able to make those and honor his wishes and and things just kind of all fell into place I'm, I'm not sure how or why but they did and, and I know the universe had a huge role to play in that um, so you're talking about spirituality and being a huge part of a part of it for I know for me it, it was without even realizing how much it was can you share some more about that aspect? Because, and you know, in the work that I do, as I was sharing earlier, and I'm really passionate about that, um, I find that, um, in, in this, in you know, in the in this work of um, psychology, I find now, like in the last, and maybe it's been longer, but in just my circle, my 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 uh, my professional circle, a lot of um, therapists do not include spirituality in their work. They find that they feel like it's not their domain, perhaps, or what the literature shows is that you're not really trained on it. Um, but speak more about perhaps, you know, how your spirituality help you, helped you with, with the loss of your husband. So way, way back and probably for all my life up until, you know, that eight years ago, that fateful day, I, I thought spirituality and religion were tied hand in hand. That if you were a spiritual person, you were a religious person. If you were a religious person, you were spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I came to learn that that doesn't have to be true. Mm-hmm. And that spirituality is, is what you believe in, what you hold, you know, to your truth, to your standard, to your way of life. And that spirituality can be, you know, the teachers you work with, the, the friends you hang out with on Friday night, the, the therapy group on Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. It, it can be anything. And that, that was a huge eye-opener and like aha moment in realization that there's more to it. I don't have to be defined by religion saving me in this situation. Saving you. Because mm-hmm. in my life, and I guess what I, what I thought, my preconceived notion was that when things get bad, religion is is what fixes it religion is if you go to church go to synagogue and this is what you do you know they they will help you fix it and i learned that's not always the case mm-hmm. that it's up to your own self and in your people but it's still on you and at that point in time it it goes back to what you were talking about earlier um with the meme about what the lady brought and, and going for the twinkies like there, there is no right or wrong way of how to handle it. And, 
even the other meme that you put out with the doctor, unless you've, and what I've learned is unless you've experienced it, you don't know what to do. Even though mm-hmm. someone says, oh, well, I'm 50 years old, I'm 60 years old. If you have not experienced it, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I learned that lesson just when I, I moved out on my own for the first time and there were no rules. And it was like, you've been taught, you know, textbooks teach us, you don't do this, you don't do that. You don't give people your address. You don't, you know, you don't go walking by yourself, but then all of a sudden you're left to it and you're like, well, I don't have a choice. (laughs) The textbook doesn't line up with real life. Mm -hmm. And those experiences of, so when you know it, and and my go-to was, because I'd have people just stare at me and not know what to say because of the way I was handling myself and who I am. And I just look at them, I'm like, look, it sucks. And they're like, I was like, you can say it, it sucks. Like there is no other word. Right now, life sucks. And I said, the situation sucks. I said, but, and then I started to change it after a couple of days. And I I did, I I put that precursor on it that the situation sucks. Losing my husband sucks, but my life was still good. Oh. all the support I had okay. all the teachers from two different schools that I worked at rallying around me I had parents I had a sister I had two support groups I had um, Kevin was actually in recovery so there was numerous people from his recovery group reaching out and there was just people everywhere so I was never alone which, which was so nice and that was that uh, presence that you've talked about mm-hmm. just having someone to sit or just I was I would just go to other people's houses because I didn't want to sit at my house I like that uh, so mm-hmm. I would just go sit at their house and and like my friend my one friend she's like but I'm going to be cleaning the office I'm like that's fine I can lay on your couch I don't I just need to be not my house and she's like okay but it was just the presence just the presence wow so, you know, you said a lot of things just now that I, I, my mind was just running all over because I wanted to grab them as you were talking about them. But the last piece that you said, you said, I would just go to someone's house. Um, so how are you able to do that? Why did you, did you, well, let me just add, let you answer. How are you able just to go to someone's house? What, what caused you to do that? What, what, what was happening with your grief? What led you to do that? So my grief, my grief was so anticipatory, complicated, unorthodox. I mean, name it. I was in that boat. Um, and I went straight to acceptance for a minute and no one could function. No one could, no one could handle me because I was so calm. I was so accepting that he had died. Um, there was no emotion in it for me. Um, it was a tragic accident. You know, you take, you know, teacher and me, the science behind it, if your brain doesn't work, your body can't function. So th- there was no question about how to handle the situation. Um, and everybody was trying to do stuff for me at that moment. And I, there was nothing people could do for me in the mm-hmm. first week. There was mm-hmm. nothing I mm-hmm. needed that mm-hmm. I knew of. There was nothing... I knew what I had to do. I had to make plans. I had to go to the funeral home. I had to do this. I had to do that. Um, And people were getting, I could see people were getting uncomfortable. And 
again, that was still because I had been doing some group work and, and you know, fixing myself. And um, mm-hmm. I, um, what did I, and, and I just kept started telling people, you know what, I really appreciate your efforts. I really appreciate your, your wanting to help me. I said, but I, I don't need you now. I need you in 30 days. All right. I need you in 40 days. I need you next mm-hmm. month. So when I pick up the phone or I have too many plans for dinner, I don't want to eat right now, but can you reach out in three weeks when I will need you? And so mm-hmm. that's what allowed me to be able to pick up the phone and call people and say, can I just come sit on your couch? Okay. So it sounds like you're saying, um, although in, in with their initial grief, um, what you're talking about um, represents the behavioral reactions to grief. When we talk about, well, I don't know what I need right now. Um, there's a bit of, um, you know, absent-mindedness. Now, you know, you had some concrete plans because you had talked about them, you knew. But outside of that, with, with regards to your own grief and your own self-care, you're saying, hey, you know what? I, I don't know what I need right now in this moment, but, you know, down the line, this is what I think I may need. That is very much representative of examples of behavioral reactions to grief. Um, confusion that takes place. You know you got to do for the person who's deceased, but for yourself right now, I don't need anything, or I don't know what I need right now, but in a couple of months or a couple of weeks, I mean, this is something that I may need for you to do. It's not that that's what you're saying, yes? Absolutely. Okay. How did you find that? How did you find, or what was your experience with persons who did not know how to support you? What did that look like? Honestly, I... I think those were the people I never, I didn't hear from, or mm-hmm. they were always with other people. Mm-hmm. So it would be like a group that would try mm-hmm. to, to fix or just people. There were a lot of teachers that, that didn't know that maybe I wasn't super close with, or mm-hmm. it was, and, and now that I look back, maybe mm-hmm. it was their own, as you said before, they mm-hmm. weren't ready. They were maybe going through something. Mm-hmm. Um, it hit too close to home for them. Mm-hmm. And, and now, you know, they, they just couldn't handle it at that moment. And I, there was no, there was no will, ill will on my part. Um, and and I, honestly, I probably looking back, I probably couldn't even always tell you who acknowledged and who didn't because it didn't, it didn't matter. Oh my gosh, that's big. So in other words, it's not like you're saying, um, those of us who are grieving, you know, if someone can be there for you, don't take it personal, but take a look at the persons who can support you. Something like that's what you're saying. Yes, and it's okay. Yes. Don't, not, don't be don't be judgmental about them, right? Not blaming or pointing fingers, but say, you know what? They're perhaps not in a place that can help me, but there are other persons that can support me. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And 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 I think that's what I've learned because you know, as as I went through mine and then I had some friends go through their own and there was there was a situation that I, I couldn't go to the funeral. And I didn't understand it at that moment, like a year or two after Kevin had passed. And I think a couple years later, somebody said, you just, it's too close to home. Mm -hmm. And it, and it hit and it resonated. And I was like, oh, it was. And that's where I've taken solace in, you know, being able to do, do work on myself at times or being able to recognize why things aren't why 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 things aren't working but that's not the right term why things are just uncomfortable in my own life Mm. would you say that the loss of your husband rocked your world like your belief system or would you say that happened or perhaps it didn't it didn't hit the rock you didn't hit rock bottom in terms of your belief 
Um, but you have you have found meaning somehow. I don't know. Where where are you on um, that? With his death, I learned I learned that I had already grieved our relationship. Okay. Due to his drug use for several years. Mm-hmm. And about a year before he died, I had already given up. I had given up on our relationship. And I just was like, that's it. I'm done. It's over. I had gone through that whole, what would life be without him? I was going through stages okay. of, am I going to come mm-hmm. home and find him dead from an overdose? Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time he finally admitted that he had hit rock bottom and wanted to go to treatment and wanted to fix things, I, I was already past it. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, and I was, I was from, I was ashamed. Like so you I, nobody knew about the drugs. Nobody knew because I was like, what would people think of me? What would they think? Cause I'm not that person. I wouldn't have fallen in love with a drug addict, mm-hmm. but that's not who I fell in love with. That's what happened later. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a lot of ups and downs and circles and, and heartache and laughter and grief um, that went on for years before. And then we kind of got to a good place. We were trying to figure out who we were and what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And then the accident happened and the universe set us up in amazing ways because of conversations we had had about organ donation and just life because of what life threw us prior. Mm-hmm. And, and so even though it rocked my world, yes, and it was, it kind of was like, it was also a relief to not, not sound cold hearted, No, no. but Kevin, Kevin suffered mental illness, drug addiction, so much in his life that, mm-hmm. um, I knew, I knew he was ultimately at peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the funny part of all of it is we, um, we live in St. Augustine and it's the oldest town and there's ghost stories and we would go ghost hunting a lot. And I believe in ghosts. I believe that I interacted with them and things like that. And it drove him crazy because he he had no sense, but he (laughs) loved it. And his comment to me before he died, when we talked about it and he was like, you better not keep me on life support ever. I can't handle that. He's like, don't leave me trapped between two worlds because I have to be able to come back and mess with you. (laughs) And I was like, oh, good grief. Oh, you want to come back and mess with me, buddy? Like, I'm going to mess with you all the time. But I I hold on to that because things happen. Mm -hmm. And I just, things will will even happen in the classroom. And I go, oh, my goodness. And the kids are like, is that the ghost? I'm like, that's the ghost. I said, y'all were misbehaving in the back. And he didn't like it because you're making my life difficult. So he's letting me know that something's going. And, and so I've invited it into my life to to honor his memory, but to to just normalize it, I guess. Yes, absolutely. 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 Wow. Wow. I can hear it here where you had a period of anticipatory grief. It sounds like it sounds like Kevin when actually was actually going through periods of grief himself. Uh, but I do hear where you had a period of anticipatory grief. So, the, you know, the, the loss was heavy, but it seems like you've been working through, um, you know, a lot of the concerns that you encountered. And so when 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 the death came, it was more, more like you somehow had, had some muscle memory or some muscles there to work with what you were dealt with. Like you said, the universe dealt you at that particular time. 
which leads me to which leads me to so then here's my one or two final questions for you um how would you encourage others to normalize grief oh it (laughs) sharing not realizing that it's real and that's like i think what i started out by saying is ours whether people agree or not that's fine but my opinion is that society has not normalized it like 25 years ago it was still a secret whether you had cancer or not maybe even 30 (laughs) years ago because my mom had it and it was like this big deal and they kept it a secret and now it's like publicized everybody not to downplay because cancer is important but like (laughs) it's not a secret anymore more and more people unfortunately have cancer and are, are, are open and honest with it. And I wish grief and all of that mental illness and it's trying to, but there's still stigmas attached to it and nobody understands it and think it's only for the rich and famous and it's not. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, it's, you know, I had, I had people judge me because I stayed with Kevin for so long and the analogy I used so many times was if he had a broken bone, if his arm was in a cast, if his foot leg was amputated or something, you, you, you guys would all think I was a horrible person for, for walking out on him. Mm. Illness is no different. Mm. The drug mm-hmm. addiction, the mental illness, it's no different. You can't see it. You can't put a label on it. You can't put a cast or a bandaid on it. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that with grief either. Exactly. You can't fix it overnight. You can't <laughs> fix it over a year. I mean, here I am walking into year eight and I'm still mm-hmm. learning and still grieving and still triggered by things. Um, you know, sitting, realizing and thinking tonight, like January to May, June, May was like our time. I didn't realize that all of our Kevin and I's highlights, memories, goods and bads all happened between January and May. And, and this has been part of my, I guess, my work with, mm-hmm. with uh, some counseling and the doctors I work with, um, mm-hmm. trying to figure out the next layer to come off. Mm-hmm. And all our, we, we met in January, we started dating in February, his birthday's in April, we got married in May, he died oh, wow. in May. Wow. So everything uh-huh. is compacted in this time frame. Mm-hmm. And so he decided to go to treatment in March. Oh, wow. So much is compacted in this, this six months that now I can actually look at that and recognize that and realize this is the time that I, I need to do this work. And so I think again, there's this universe bringing you and I back together and (laughs) and you and your posts and, and, and me having to like dive back into this self-work on grief that I need to do to recognize some things. And it's actually made me open my eyes the other day to realize that my mother's having some health concerns and with her memory and, and things like that. And I think I started grieving a relationship with her because mm-hmm. it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And it totally was, and it was after you and I, you know, have been emailing and it made me think, oh my gosh, maybe I'm doing this. And it has changed my attitude and my demeanor with her mm-hmm. like a whole 180 degrees because I finally had that aha moment that I can't, it can't just be the way it's been. Mm-hmm. You know, that I was trying and forcing it so hard to be. Right. 
oh, you know what? That you always this this conversation feels so natural. It just leads me right into say, you know, this last question I have for you um, is, so you know, how would you encourage others to support someone who is grieving? Because I hear it, but I just want to give you the respect to to share yeah. that. Yeah, I say just be there, support mm -hmm. them if. If they say they have an obligation on Wednesday night and they won't tell you what it is, don't push because they might, you might, they might not be ready to tell you they're going to a therapy group or an Al-Anon meeting or an AA meeting. Mm -hmm. um, they might be trying to do some self work, but they're not ready to share it because they don't want to be judged because going to therapy isn't an everyday thing. And if people don't do it, they may make fun of them. They may like, you're doing that. Why are you wasting your money? Because um, it's not for everybody. Um, they might be going to church. They might be trying a church. And so just be open. Don't. And if they tell you like two weeks in a row, like I have some friends that would always try and make plans on Wednesday night. And I don't think they realized they were doing it. And I would always beg off because I was going to therapy on Wednesday nights. Uh -huh. And then I had some that, that would be like, oh, you're busy on Wednesday. And I don't think they were trying to, to guilt me into it. But, it, but I unfortunately took it that way. Mm -hmm. um so just be supportive um if there was a it's funny i still i still um scroll facebook and i find grief means gr memes and i still in sayings and i still look at some grief posts but there was one night just before we we came on and it was um instead of saying I'm fine and when you and don't mean it, like try saying, I don't want to talk about it, or I'm not sure how I feel when people say that don't make fun of it. Like don't laugh. That's right. If you don't have time to take it in, you know, and I'm sorry. I, I hope things can get better. Like just be authentic. Mm -hmm. and, and you've talked about that like a lot. And I think that's so important because I remember one time I did say that to someone. They were like, how was your weekend? And I was like, it was terrible. And they looked at me and they're like, well, why did you say that? That's not what I was asking. And I'm like, but that was truthful. <laughs> they just couldn't handle it. <laughs> they, couldn't, they were uncomfortable with it. And, and it's okay. to. I guess it's okay to be uncomfortable. If you're yes. trying to support someone, if you're, yes. there we go. If you're trying to support someone, you're going to be uncomfortable. Yes. They're uncomfortable. It's yes. uncomfortable, but it's okay to be uncomfortable. Because uncomfortable is how we grow, how we learn, mm -hmm. how how we get better. Mm -hmm. it, it is. Oh my goodness! Wow, Roz, it's so nice to um, connect with you. I don't know how long I haven't seen. We left college now over twenty five years, oh right? Oh my 20 gosh, I know. It's been I a know. long time. It's been a long time. Yeah. But I, I, I just want to tell you, thank you is not enough. I, I can't, it, you know, as you would say, the universe brought us back together again, because Absolutely. you have, I, and it, so I knew it was meant to be, um, <laughs> it, it obviously is. And I really cannot thank you enough, but, um, but thank you. And, um, we have quite a few listeners on tonight. There are quite a few persons right. listening. Yeah. And, no, um, I, I didn't realize how much I needed this, this, I, I feel lighter and this was, this was definitely much needed. So thank you. So, you know, before you go, I just want to share a quote. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm starting um, a quote collections um, project on this podcast. So if you have any quotes that you want to send in, you know, I invite you to do that. Um, but I, I have 700. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I have a quote that I want to leave with you. Um, and I want to frame it before I do it though. So the framework again, what I already framed it, I'll repeat or reinforce that, um, is that impermanence. Impermanence is something, um, is this concept that all need to embrace from day to day. But the way in which we do it matters. And we, we talked a lot about the house tonight. Um, and so here, here is a, here's a quote that I'd like to read to you from um, Memoirs of Agisha. It's by Arthur Golden. It says, grief is a most peculiar thing, impermanence. I like to reference impermanence throughout this thing. Grief is a most peculiar thing. We're so helpless in the face of it. It's like a window that will simply open of its own accord. The room grows cold and we can do nothing but shiver. But it opens a little less each time and a little less. And one day we wonder what has become of it. So, so I want to end um, our time together um, by leaving these words to say, as you continue to, to work on yourself, as we continue to you know, embrace impermanence, embrace our pain, our suffering, what happens over time is that grief becomes lighter and lighter. It doesn't go away. We, you know, in some sense, it's almost like we don't really want grief to go away because for it to go away is to, is to say we don't want to remember that person. And that's not what it's about. It's, it's about dealing with this deep, profound pain or loss from, from that person. But again, over time, this loss gets lighter and lighter. And as it gets lighter, we can embrace that person that we love so much. So Roz, you know what? Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Hugs to you. And thank you for encouraging um, those persons who are listening. And thank you for just anchoring um, those different parts or types of grief that you related to and, and, and how it showed up in your life and how you are now. I appreciate you so much. And thank you. So Roz, um, it sounds like you're off, and I'm going to pause here. Can you hear me? Here? Yeah. Actually, I can't. Are you there? Sorry, I had a little, I don't know what happened. There? Yes, I'm here. Are they? Okay, great. So did you want to have any parting words before we leave? Are you there? Yes, I'm here. I, I can hear you now. No, I just wanted to say thank you so much. Hopefully you heard the quote that I read to you. So you take care of yourself and we're going to part and I'm going to play music as we part. Are you there? This goes out to the world. This goes out to the stress. Sorting out a million thoughts running through your head. To everyone that's waiting. For better days ahead Tired and frustrated And leaving words unsaid Please don't hold your breath Just breathe It's a miracle we can breathe There's power in the way that we breathe Your 
pain Sometimes it comes a storm And sometimes he lets it rain But please don't hold your breath Just breathe It's a miracle Hi guys, I love that song. We gotta breathe. We gotta. We gotta breathe through this podcast. We gotta breathe through this podcast. We're winding down. I'm gonna leave some parting things that you can do for yourself, facing grief. So I'm gonna lower the music here. So. It was so refreshing to have Roz Michaela um, join the podcast this evening uh, about her journey with um, grief. And, you know, she was able to call out the different types of grief that, you know, um, she's experienced in the, the death and loss of her husband. And that may be the case for some of you tonight. I hope that you can call out and mark and underline, you know, the different types of grief perhaps that you have experienced or you are experiencing. And, I hope we're able to provide not answers, but support um, with this support, you know, allow you to have possibilities with that for yourselves. And so as we close this podcast, I want to talk about, you know, what you can do for yourself. Also, um, practical things that you can do, physical, tangible things that you can do. And before I list those, so I mentioned one or two points about um, how grief, you know, physiologically, um, you know, um, harm us or can harm us. So. Just to summarize that grief is traumatic. You know, grief can uh, and does um, affect the brain. Um, it, it, it affects your parasympathetic um, you know, system. It causes fight, flight, freeze. It causes, you know, and, and those responses that come. Essentially, it can bring you harm. It stresses. It actually causes, you know, damage and injury to the heart. And for some people, they actually experience inflammation. They have hypertension. They have, um, which is blood pressure. Um, they have, you know, cardiac, um, you know, um, arrhythmia. You know, um, irregular, you know, um, beating of the heart, rhythm of the heart, and and so and many a list of different things that can cause causes um, harm as a result of this trauma to the brain. So, what are some things that you can do? Number one, I mentioned this concept about you know, impermanence. I leave that word with you tonight. Look it up, impermanence, and what it means and what it can possibly mean for you. If I were to, you know, size that word or, you know, break it down, it's basically not to resist the change. Some persons, when they deal with grief, they push it back. I got to tell you, the more you push pain, the, it comes back at you like a Mack truck. It literally runs you over. Um, so what I am directly saying here is to embrace your pain. And by being able to call it out, by being able to normalize grief and, you know, find your community that can support you to, to normalize grief, then this way you don't have to resist pain and resist impermanence because the change, death brings a change. And that's what we're talking about. So rather than reinforcing your own pain and suffering, one of the best ways um, to, to, to deal with um, death and loss and grief is to embrace it and I am suggesting ways how to do that as we have done all throughout this podcast this evening. One of the things 
or another thing I should say, so that's one. Uh, another thing that you can do is definitely seek medical care. Medical care because during this time, again, the physiological you know, re uh, reactions, the cognitive reactions, um, what will help this along is proper nutrition and exercise. And this is a time when most persons, you know, stay under the covers and stay locked in, not eating, not sleeping. And this is a very important time. So we talked about, you know, trauma to the brain and trauma to the, to, to the, the function of the body as a result of grief. You know, people say, well, she died of a broken heart. Well, your physical heart don't shatter, but you do get injury to your heart chemically right when these strong emotions you know can that overtakes us at time as a result of grief so having proper nutrition seeking out medical care telling someone telling as Roz was saying tell someone you know that you are struggling so you can normalize your own grief um tell someone and by doing so before you know it, you have your own tribe that can support you that will help to mobilize you so you can get that nutrition you can get that exercise um, to help you to move through the stages of grief. And so, and last but not least, you know, we mentioned tonight talking about, um, you know, um, you know, getting, getting, you know, psychological help, getting, speaking to a counselor, a therapist, um, including, you know, you're forming your own spirituality, your expression of that. Cause uh, we've talked infinite ad nauseum tonight about the, you know, the proof as to how this helps a person to deal with um, this loss, and again, for some persons, it's a significant loss. Uh, for some persons, um, it's the hit rock bottom, and it's like I, I don't know what I believe in anymore. So, including spirituality, um, spiritual cultivation, expression during this time really um, can have significant um, improvement on your health, and also as you move through the stages of grief. So, I want to leave you with that. And hopefully you'll experience what we call PTG. PTG is post-traumatic growth. This is growth that happens after a significant loss and you're no longer resilient. PTG says that, you know what? You, you allow yourself to find meaning. You allow yourself to imagine a future where you're not whipped by grief, but that you can move through grief. Listen, I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast this evening. Thank you so much for those who perhaps I joined before and you joined again this evening. I hope that this podcast was supportive to you. I hope it was, um, you, you found information perhaps that you already knew, but was reinforced or for some, it was new information that you can take with you and you can act upon that. You can, you know, have possibilities for yourself as you work through your own grief or perhaps as you support someone else who's grieving. Thank you so much for being with me this evening. I am Keisha Henry, your host at Healing of the Heart podcast. And to close us out, we're going to continue to play the song by Maverick City. It's called Breathe. Thank you so much. Here we go. This goes out to the world. This goes out to the stress. Sorting out a million thoughts running through your head To everyone that's waiting for better days ahead Tired and frustrated and leaving words unsaid Please don't hold your breath Just breathe Just it's a miracle we can breathe
enjoy that song and i hope to see you next time on this podcast if you want to look this song up it's called breathe by maverick city you guys have a great evening